0: everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. So NetHealth wants to help you maintain strong relationships with your patients. So they have created the Redoc Patient Portal, which provides a secure line of communication between you and your patients. You can conduct video conferencing for telehealth, secure messaging, share documents and photos, and your patients have 24-7 secure on-demand Access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. If you want to learn more about the Redoc patient portal, contact them at redoc, that's R E D O C, at nethealth.com. So thanks for sponsoring today's episode. And on to my guest, Dr. Michael Greywee. He is a surgeon by day and tech guru by night. He is a practicing orthopedic surgeon with Orthocincy near Cincinnati, Ohio. And is the founder of OrthoLive and Spring Health Live telemed- telemedicine platforms. The platforms allow medical practices to deliver telemedicine visits through real-time HIPAA-compliant video conferencing between the provider and the patient, increasing pa- uh, practice revenue, efficiency, and patient satisfaction. He attended the University of Notre Dame, where he won the prestigious Newt Rockne Award for Excellence in Academics and Athletics. He completed his surgery training at the University of Cincinnati Department of Surgery and Sports Medicine, and in 2010, Dr. Grywe completed his fellowship in shoulder, elbow, and sports medicine at Columbia University, training with the head team physician for the New York Yankees, Dr. Christopher Ahmad, and today we are talking about telehealth. So we had some uh, episodes on telehealth, kind of how to set up. Things like that in the beginning of the COVID pandemic, but in today's episode, we're going to talk about the benefits of telemedicine for both the patient and the provider, choosing the right telemedicine platform for your practice, how to meet patient privacy and compliance requirements, and practical tips for a seamless telehealth visit. So, we are still in the midst of a COVID pandemic, so we should all be we should have already added telehealth to our practice. So I want to thank Dr. Grywe for coming on and talking about that. And just as a programming note, he will be back in a couple of weeks to talk about a total shoulder replacement that he has helped to pioneer that kind of saves uh, muscle and makes for an easier recovery. So for all of you ortho junkies, we're happy to have him back on in the future to talk about that. Everyone enjoy today's episode. Hey, Dr. Grewe, welcome to the podcast. I am so happy to have you on today to talk all about telemedicine.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Karen. I'm glad to be here. I really appreciate you having me on the show.
0: Yeah, so for any of the longtime listeners of this podcast, you know that back in March and April, when the COVID pandemic hit, we talked a lot about telehealth. Um, but I think it's great to sort of revisit that now that we're a couple of months in and perhaps more people are using telehealth at this time than were back then. But what I want to know is, Dr. Griwe, were you, did you just start using telehealth when the pandemic hit or were you more of an early adopter?
1: Yeah, thanks for the question. I I kind of, Karen, I was sort of like an early adopter. Um, You know, I I started using telemedicine back when it really wasn't cool, I guess. Um, It was like back in the 2016 uh, time period. And um, I knew it was great for my patients because they lived pretty far away. I had patients that lived like two or three hours away and they would drive and try to meet me. And then, um, you know, I'd only see them for 15 minutes. I felt really bad about that. So I started using telemedicine and it's been a great thing for my practice. And then of course, you know recent things changed everything, and it's now exploded. So,
0: <laughs> right, and like I said in the uh, in in your bios that you're an orthopedic surgeon, an orthopedic doctor. So, one question that I think is probably good that you probably get asked all the time is, how in the heck do you see someone for an orthopedic condition when you can't put your hands on them and kind of feel what's going on?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I get it all the time. And it's one of those things where, you know, for for me, and I'm sure for you as a physical therapist, you know, so much when you hear about the history of that patient. So like the history gives you probably 80 to 90% of what you need. And then the rest is sort of verifying things through, you know, a a physical exam. And there's certain things on video that you can kind of catch. So like, if I have somebody with the rotator cuff problem, I can watch their arm move, and I just know that the rotator cuff is bothering them. And then I'll maybe order like an MRI or something along those lines to sort of confirm. But ultimately for me, it's more about like, you know, I, I may have to see this patient in the office at a certain point in time, but but I don't always have to do that. It's kind of like, depends on what the history gives me.
0: Yeah, that's, and and uh, agreed from a physical therapy standpoint, I, we, I get that question all the time yeah. is, well, how can you do physical therapy on someone if you can't, if you're not in the same room? And again, it comes down to listening to the patient. Like They will tell you everything you need to help treat them, to help diagnose them, if you just listen in the beginning. And then you can tailor your program accordingly. Now, of course, like you said, there are times where you have to see the person in person. Right. And sometimes that's the same with PT. So I think oftentimes when people think about telehealth, they just paint with a very broad stroke. And they think- well, how can you do that? So, what what do you say to people who sort of have that mentality of all or nothing?
1: Yeah, I think if they experience it for their them you know themselves, they can sort of see that okay, you know this really works, and it works because you know if you have somebody on the other side that's engaging you and is asking the right questions, you're going to eventually come to the right answer. You know, I, I've had patients with a frozen shoulder. I'm sure Karen, you've treated patients with frozen shoulder. They sort of have classic signs and symptoms. Sometimes the history isn't like exactly, they're just sort of, oh, well, you know, my shoulder has been hurting and it kind of came on over the last several months. And now I can't really move my arm as well as I, you know, used to, or maybe you might not hear that. You just hear, hear like, well, it hurts all over all the time. But if you kind of ask some leading questions, you have the right examiner, you can find out the answer. And so I think that's really the the key is having the right person on the other side of the screen you know, asking the right questions. I'm sure you do the same in your practice with physical therapy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we're talking about our different practices and our businesses, um, because of the COVID pandemic, a lot of places had to shut down their in-person. I'm in New York City, so talk about being shut down. So we were shut down absolutely. quite early. Now other parts of the country are flaring up and it's, there's a lot of uncertainty here. So when it comes to telehealth and our business, how can telehealth be, uh, uh, help our practices grow and help our businesses grow?
1: That's a great question. I think it's something that people are sort of finding out more and more about right now. I mean, there's so many ways to be able to utilize telemedicine in our practices to help it grow. I mean, first of all, um, right now as an orthopedic surgeon, I see patients from around my area Because of, you know, COVID and the situation we're in right now, they don't want to come into the office, you know, so they're looking online and they find, oh, Dr. Grawi's got an open slot to be able to be seen via telemedicine. So we're kind of advertising that at OrthoCincy, where I practice, to say, hey, anybody that might want to come in for telemedicine appointment, you can. And it just gives me access a lot better than it normally would uh, to be able to see patients. And then I think there's other ways too. So for instance, um, you know, for physical therapists, you might work with employers, for instance, or, or workplaces that need a physical therapist. And you put like an iPad there to say, if you need, you know, a physical therapist, here's how I can help you, you know, call me or or whatever through this um, device. And so there's just so many ways uh, for us to do that inside ortho specifically. Post-operative recheck appointments, they open up slots of time that, you know, you typically wouldn't have because it's a lot more efficient to see someone via telemedicine than it is sort of in person. And, um, you know, also there's a lot of downtime kind of between surgeries for us too. So that downtime can be utilized for telemedicine too. So there's a lot of, you know, ways we can sort of generate, um, you know, revenue through that and and kind of open up our practices a little bit more.
0: And what, what I found is I can actually help more people. Oh,
1: Yeah. Absolutely, because you could probably have group visits too, right? You could have, um, you know, more people in those group visits, or are you talking about just sort of more, um, you know, geographical area? Yeah, right. Like,
0: like you were saying before we went on, is sometimes you have people have to drive two to three hours to see you.
1: Right. Right. You know,
0: that's really that can be really difficult. So imagine if you have, you know, this really aching shoulder pain, and you have to drive two hours.
1: Right. Absolutely. No, right? you're, you're absolutely right. I think what, help, what helps you is, you know, with telemedicine, you've got the reach to be able to see somebody that's five hours away or even across the country that's heard about you or, you know, maybe they know that you you have certain techniques that they like. Um, I, I sort of developed like a posterior shoulder replacement where it's kind of a muscle sparing approach to the shoulder. And so I have people come from like California, Texas, Montana, you know, and now I can kind of see them postoperatively, and preoperatively with telemedicine. So it's a really nice it's a nice tool from that standpoint too.
0: Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So you could see them preoperatively if they're across the country. They come in, you do the surgery, and then you can then see them post-operative, so they don't have to stick around by you for, for six right. weeks, right? Right.
1: So I'll have them stay for the first week and then yeah. we'll kind of check the incision, make sure everything's looking good, take x-rays and then they'll go b- back home and then I'll check in with them every four or five weeks. They'll be doing physical therapy kind of in their local area.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, or of course I could like refer them to you <laughs> to remote therapy. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, so that's how they do it currently is they go back home, they work and they get their motion back and then we'll check in again virtually. Cool.
0: Now, how about prescribing medications? Is that something that you can do via tele? How does that work?
1: Yeah, it still works pretty well uh, via telemedicine. But I don't really do any like Schedule Three narcotics, you know, things like that. We 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 don't do. But um, you know, anti inflammatories, you know, um, you know, if somebody's has has some nausea, like Zofran or or you know, things of that nature, are pretty easy to prescribe. And we still prescribe and have the same prescribing practice uh, that we do in person. It's just I get a little bit more wary, and I think it's prudent to to be more wary about, you know, narcotic prescriptions and things like that. Especially in the world that we live in right now, we got to be very careful about that. So, so we're super careful with that. But I think um, most of the other prescriptions are totally, um, they're they're you know, okay to do. Mm-hmm.
0: And how about um, this is a question that I get sometimes: is what about privacy and compliance and making sure that you're meeting all those standards. So how can we ensure that we're doing that as a healthcare practitioner on telehealth?
1: That's a great question. I think, you know, it's, it is very important, obviously. So HIPAA compliance is what it's sort of called, as you know, and, and um, it's what everybody sort of doesn't like to have to worry about, but it's very important for our patients, right? I mean, that's, People are very much in tune with their privacy. Um, data privacy is being uh, becoming like a really big thing right now. But really, people's healthcare privacy and and their, um, you know, their their medical privacy is very very important. So the telehealth platform that you choose, you have to make sure that that is HIPAA compliant, and that means end to end encryption. That means like the data that starts uh, out, you know, it's carried through the internet, and it's it's encrypted, and then wherever it's housed, it's also encrypted there, too, so that no one can sort of um, get to that information. I think that's really critical, very important for our patients. And most of the platforms, they will advertise whether or not they're HIPAA compliant, and um, you want to know kind of how many, uh, you know, what, what type of bit encryption they are and things like that when you look at platforms.
0: And when, what was that last thing you said, bit encryption?
1: Yeah, it's sort of what like... Does that mean? Uh, well, the, as as the information is you know traveling across the internet, um, mm-hmm. there's sort of you know bytes of information, right? And so the the amount of encryption can be sort of uh, leveled up so that, that you know basically you can have like 64-bit encryption, or you could have 200 and you know 64-bit encryption. There's certain levels, and so it ta- it's like a string of numbers, um, and so that string of numbers is is how much it would take to crack the code essentially. Got so you know, 256-bit encryption is like, you know, a massive amount of uh, code breaking has to happen to catch that while it's traveling through, you know, the interweb. <laughs> so, Got it.
0: Got it. Yeah. Well, no, that's really good because I think that's that's something that if people are choosing a platform, it's definitely something that as a provider you want to be looking at.
1: Absolutely. It's very important, you know, um, and most providers are pretty in tune with that. But mm-hmm. right now, like, you know, they're allowing telemedicine to occur on FaceTime and some other, you know, platforms. Yeah.
0: Now FaceTime is not HIPAA HIPAA
1: compliant. Yes. 100%. Yeah. So we, we don't want to really be using that right now. And and there are are some providers out there that are doing it maybe just for ease of use. And because the pandemic it's, it's happened, but ultimately what we really need to make sure is that we, we don't use those platforms. Those platforms are not safe, not secure.
0: Yeah. What other Are there any other sort of um, things that you want to watch out for when you're uh, Let's say Well, first we'll start with looking at different telehealth platforms. Mm-hmm. So what are the things that you want to be looking for? And then if you have any advice on uh, do's and don'ts while you're actually in your telehealth session. I know yeah. some of them seem like should be common sense, but you never know. <laughs> so let's go with what should you look at first. What should be yeah. what should you be looking at in your telehealth platform? And on that note, we're gonna take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back with Dr. Grywe's answers. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by NetHealth, helping you maintain strong relationships with your patients. The Redoc Patient Portal provides a secure line of communication between you and your patients. Conduct virtual visits and have follow-up conversations with your patients via secure messaging when it's convenient for you. Patients have 24-7 secure, on-demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. Video conferencing for telehealth, secure messaging, share documents and photos, and view health information and appointments. To learn more, contact them at redoc at nethealth.com.
1: It's a great question. I think the first thing um, that's really important for patients is making sure that, you know, the HIPAA compliance there, so we covered that, right? So HIPAA compliance, probably number one. Number two is, does this platform allow you to, you know, keep a schedule? So one of the most frustrating things as a provider of telemedicine is, And this is what I found out many, many years ago is that there's no schedule. You know, you, you have to send the invitation to the patient and the patient sort of says, yes, I'd like to do this. And then, you know, they, they link up eventually. But what you really want is to be able to see scheduled appointments. That way you can move from one person to the next and you're not really leaving a screen and trying to come back and forth just from an efficiency standpoint. It's not, not very efficient to do that. Another thing that's important, I think, is being able to chat with your patient sometimes It's important to be able to have a conversation, but it's also important to answer questions. And so being able to have kind of a text-based chat that's secure as well, that might be, you know, maybe they can send you a picture. Maybe you can send them a video. Um, Maybe you can send them sort of a document that gives them some exercises or what have you. That's really important too. But I think one of the other things I was going to mention is consenting. Um, A lot of platforms don't have consent, and, of course, that's part of the law. You have to consent that patient for telemedicine before you have a visit in most of the states, I think 45 of the states, you have to have a consent. So very important for the consent process to happen also. And that allows you to have a, um, a legal uh, telemedicine appointment.
0: And that consent process, can that be in your initial paperwork? So if you're onboarding someone and you have, I mean, we've all been to the doctor's office, you have to fill out a million different forms, right? Yeah. So uh, same thing with PT. So can that consent to telehealth be in that onboarding or does it have to be every time you connect for a telehealth visit? Do they have to consent every single time?
1: That's a great question. And it's, it's really just a one-time consent. Got it. So it doesn't have to be you know, every time. So if they just come to your office first time, you're going to maybe have them sign some paperwork that says consent to telemedicine and that's fine. You're good to go. Um, but in the case where there, you have a new patient, it's very important to make sure that you have that consent process. And so, for us and what we do at Ortho Live and Spring Health Live, we just have them sign off one time that they agree to telemedicine, and then we assume every time they visit the platform, they know what they're, you know, doing and they've already agreed to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Whew. yeah, because I yeah, have woo. <laughs>
1: <exactly.
0: laughs> <laughs> you just gave me a little sigh of relief there because I have I have it, again, as part of my onboarding paperwork that people are consenting to their telehealth visits, but I don't do it every single time for each right. visit.
1: Right. Okay. And I think it's just sort of like the billing practices in your practice too, and that people sign off that they're okay with billing and mm-hmm. that's thing. They just mm-hmm. do it once. They're not signing it every time that they come back. Got uh, it. But it's it applies similarly to telemedicine.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. So those are the things you want to look at when you're kind of shopping around for a platform. Now let's talk about um, some things that you want to have in mind as the healthcare practitioner during your telehealth visit with your patient on the other end.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. So the first thing is, if you're going to use um, a, a phone, you know, and sometimes you're using a phone because you might be on the go, or, or maybe your platform only allows you to have a phone, it's really important to make sure that you don't like hold the phone like right underneath your nose um, because it sort of gives you like kind of the up the nose shot a little bit. Uh, So I always tell people, you know, prop your phone up in front of you, like on your keyboard, maybe, that's a really good place for it. Or if you're using a laptop, obviously like your face is kind of directly in front of that camera and it just gives you more of a conversational type of appearance um, to your patient, rather you're not like talking straight down to them. I think that's, that's important. The other thing to um, sort of test out is just make sure that like, you know, when you move your right arm, like your, your right arm is like going up in the correct location in the camera. So you're not off to the side, you know, um, of the camera when you're trying to show them kind of what you expect. I imagine for physical therapy, and you can answer this, you know, too. I, I imagine for physical therapy that you may have to be seen like your full body may need to be seen at some points in time. Yeah, too, yeah. So.
0: You definitely need like a decent amount of space so that you can lay down on the ground, you can come up to kneeling, you're standing, you're so yeah, for physical therapy you do need a good amount of space. So it comes down to finding those spaces, whether it's in your home or your office, where you can kind of get the right angle and good right. lighting.
1: Right. That's great. I, I think that's really important, um, you know, for your listeners on the physical therapy. end. for us, it's it's also being able to screen share too. If you can screen share, then you can show x-rays, MRIs, things like that. And just getting tested out. Like I know for, for my uh, practice, you know, we had a lot of physicians go live as soon as COVID hit and nobody had practiced. And so it was disaster on the first day. It was like, you know, it was like Groundhog Day and like no one knew what they were doing. And, uh-huh. and, you know, I was running around different pods trying to help everybody. But it's important to practice. Just like we would never go to surgery not practicing uh, what we were doing. Yeah. You know, you got to practice too on your side to make sure that everything's working properly, your camera, your audio, and all that. That's important.
0: Yeah, do a couple dry runs with friends yeah. and family. Make sure it's working well. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's that's excellent advice. And now what do, let's say, physicians or therapists – Let's what do they need to do now to kind of quickly adapt to this telehealth because from like I look at it it's such old hat now, but I've been doing it since March. so yeah. now you have other parts of the country who are sort of trailed behind New York City, so they're in lockdown maybe for the first time, and they really need to start adapting quickly. So what advice do you give to those practitioners?
1: Well, you know. Providers of medical services always have a hard time with change, right? I think that's mm-hmm. like one of the one of the tenets of being a type A personality, the personality that ends up getting into medical practices or, you know, we're very particular. So we don't like to change. That's the first thing to recognize. And, and so there's going to be bumps in the road and there's going to be hurdles. And I think it's really important to just understand like, hey, you got to sort of roll with the punches a little bit. Understand it's not usually too difficult, but you just need to kind of figure out what your plan of attack is going to be. Are you going to see telehealth patients in the morning and then see your regular, you know, uh, business in the afternoon? If you're completely shut down, how are you going to adapt to that? How are you going to get the, the word out? Are you going to be able to market this? Um, really, really important for you to make sure you kind of figure all that out on paper before just sort of like saying, yep, I'm going to buy this telehealth platform going we get rolling. You know, it's it's like let's plan an an attack and how we're going to be seen and how we're going to be able to see patients. I think that's really really important.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And now let's talk about uh, the platforms. Let's talk about the the platforms that you're involved with and how you got involved. So there's Ortho Live and Spring Health Live. Right. So how are you an orthopedic surgeon with all of the work that surrounds that and then. Sort of this tech person entrepreneur on the side, so you must have some spectacular time management skills.
1: <laughs> well, I've got a very forgiving wife. I know that's that's number one, um, but you know, it's it is like a uh, it's a wonderful thing for me because I really enjoyed doing kind of creative things, uh, things that might help my patients. And telemedicine was one of those things I think really was was a great thing for my patients ultimately um but uh for me telemedicine was a way for my patients to be helped in a way that we couldn't really help them through anything else and so there wasn't a great solution so i decided to uh, found uh OrthoLive um about 3 years ago that was 2016 and uh it was only because i was looking around to try to find a solution for patients and for providers that was really efficient and that worked really smoothly But what I found was that really didn't exist and it was really hard to find the right solution. And so I decided to create it after speaking with a CEO of a telemedicine company out in the California area. He kind of runs a lot of the video for MD live and some of the other larger companies. And he said, Mike, you know, this is a great idea. You ought to kind of follow through on your vision to do this for orthopedics. And so I did that with ortho live and it's been really successful and I kind of knew what we needed. We just, you know, we didn't have the efficiency and the way to be able to see patients in a streamlined fashion. So we, we created that within orthopedics, which I knew very well. And then we kind of branched out and now we're offering services to other specialties and subspecialties as well with Spring Health Live.
0: And within these platforms, do you have um, uh, ways to do objective measurements within these platforms? Because I know some do, some don't. So how does this how does this work? Let's say from an orthopedic standpoint.
1: Yeah. So I mean, if you want true objective measurements, um, we have to kind of integrate with braces and things like that. So you know, we're like a smartphone application, and so we do have APIs that can integrate and take in information like that. Um, it's not something that you know orthopedic surgeons really use on a on a daily basis. I would see that more for physical therapists. So we mm-hmm. kind of have the ability to um, integrate with um, you know applications that give you range of motion and actual discrete data. I think that's really important um, because it does give you some actual feedback on a day-to-day basis of how a patient's doing. Mm-hmm. But uh, from an ortho standpoint, we don't really need those like the discrete data points. We just sort of need to see okay, well, how is that patient performing? Are they having difficulties still? you know, moving their knee, let's see you bend your knee. And if it's not really going as well as we want, we know we need to up the physical therapy, we need some more intensity there. And it's more of a gestalt for us, um, less on the discrete hard numbers. But with therapy, I feel like it is really important to have that feedback to say on a day to day basis, that patient's not doing well, how can we help them? Do we need to intervene sooner? So maybe that's what you're getting at. but, But yeah, we have the ability to kind of feed that information back into our platform.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Because uh, a lot of times it's, you know, you, you could say, well, if 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 uh, if 180 degrees of shoulder elevation is considered full, it looks like maybe they're at 75 percent or they're at 50 percent. So, but it's hard to get those, like you said, very discrete numbers because we can't measure it. If, right. So having the ability to kind of integrate. Applications to be able to do that, I think, is it can be really helpful. Um, although I yeah, I guess sort of post-surgical when the patient is perhaps limited to X amount of degrees of movement, I think is where that comes in really handy.
1: Right, right. And we we have them sort of stand kind of at the side and like watch forward flexion and things like mm-hmm. that. So I think we get, you know, to within probably five to ten degrees. But if you're looking for exact degrees, yeah, um, that's where those those programs, which, you know, you can strap like an iPhone to your leg now and like move your knee and it, it measures range of motion through like some little track pads and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's ways to um, to really effectively get that, that motion and understand what's happening with the patient's recovery, which is nice. And so we, we've allowed the ability to integrate those types of applications to our, our platform, which is cool.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I was working with um, some developers based in Israel who have an app for gait, and so you put it in your pocket, and what it does is it can tell you the excursion of your hip range of motion from flexion through extension, comparing side to side, your stance time, uh, steps per minute, um, all sorts of stuff. Um, I think there's up to like seven or eight discrete measurements, which is super cool so again in times like this this is where the technology 10 years ago didn't exist
1: yes 100% right? so now, also,
0: having that now is making uh, is allowing healthcare professionals to continue to help their patients during this pandemic
1: no question i was i was speaking with a group that has some um, special socks that like will measure stride length and things like that so they know when a person may be like, you know, unsteady with their gait, when -hmm. they might be at fall risk, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is a great, it's a great uh, thing. And so, you know, understanding when patients may need some therapy to try to help with balance is critical. I mean, falls are a multi-billion dollar issue in the United States today. And if we can kind of cut down on falls, it's a great, great opportunity. And so we're, I think we're leveraging little, um, things like, you know, from a data standpoint, uh, to be able to improve population health. I I think it's great.
0: Yeah. And, And where do you see telemedicine moving in the future? The pandemic's over. Is everybody just going to wrap it up and call it call it quits? Or wh- where do you see that moving towards in the future?
1: No, I think telemedicine's here to stay, Karen. I think um, you know the the, the you know so called genie is out of the bottle. You know there's there's a lot of great things that have happened with telemedicine recently. I think it's here to stay. We're going to end up seeing telemedicine continue to spike. It was on the rise even before the pandemic. We were seeing multi, you know, millions of patients that were, you know, being seen every year. It was doubling every year. Um, And now it's like, I mean, I think it's gone up by 10x. Uh, So there's going to be a lot more telemedicine, I think, in people's future.
0: Yeah. And as we were discussing before we came on the air, um, hopefully the providers of insurance will... Also agree with that and say we are going to continue paying for these because look at the advantages it's it's giving look at the money we're saving because of this because like you said if you can have a telemedicine visit with someone and it prevents a fall which is a multi-billion dollar industry would you rather pay the two to three hundred dollars whatever it is I don't know how much it is or have that person hospitalized for hundreds of thousands
1: you're absolutely right. And so if there's any, you know, any of the, the insurance industry listening, it's very, very critical that we continue with telemedicine for their uh, patients. And uh, it's it's so beneficial, not only in, in protecting them during this time period, you know, we, we definitely don't want to let them go out of the house or 70 year old patients that are potentially sick and elderly. Um, You know, it's for their safety and it's also for um, the benefit of the patient. I mean, it's way more convenient for them. And so I think without a doubt, it is so important to make sure that our legislature continues to support uh, telemedicine and, and telemedicine billing.
0: Absolutely. Fingers crossed. Fingers 100%. crossed that that happens. So I'm with you on that. Yeah. All right. Now, yeah. before we start to wrap things up, is there anything that we didn't cover or anything that you want the listeners to sort of walk away with from uh, from our discussion on telemedicine?
1: Oh, I think the main thing is, is that, you know, there's a lot of great people out there trying to provide healthcare, And many of them are trying this, you know, as a new, um, you know, thing for them in their practices. And I think um, supporting them in that is important. I think everybody inside their local community is really trying to do uh, things via telemedicine now, and they weren't doing that before. And so um, being flexible, I think, with those providers, I think is important. But I also think that um, telemedicine is here to stay. It's one of these things where there's so much benefit on both the provider and the patient's end that it'll just continue to be here and and be a part of society and, and medical care going forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And now I have one question left, and it's a question I ask everyone. And that's given where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to yourself as a fresh medical school graduate?
1: No, oh, it's, it's a good question. I love this question. I think for me, I was such a, um, you know, a worrier. Like I was, I was always worried about, you know, was I going to be good enough? Was I going to be uh, mm-hmm. smart enough? and um you know i always knew that I, I believed in myself but i i didn't trust myself back in those days enough to know that i was going to be okay and i think um the thing to remember is like you know you went into this medical profession for a reason you want to take good care of patients you got to believe that you know you're a hard worker and you're going to continue to to do as best you can to to take g- good care of people and you're not you know even if you fail it's okay i think failure is um it's okay to fail. I think that's another thing that I would tell myself too, because I was so worried about failing that I wasn't willing to like branch out and, and take risks. Um, but I've learned that now. And I think, uh, if I could go back, I'd tell myself, don't worry about failure. Just, you're going to be fine. Just keep working hard.
0: Great. Excellent advice. And now where can people find out more about you, more about ortho live and spring health live?
1: Great. Yeah. Well, they can actually look at our website. Um, So our website is www.ortholive.com and then www.springhealthlive.com.
0: Perfect. And how about you?
1: So for me, (laughs) uh, I can be reached uh, Mm -hmm. at Mike Grywe. It's M-I-K-E-G-R-E-I-W-E at ortholive.com. That's my email address and I'll be happy to respond
0: perfect and just so everyone knows we'll have all of those links in the show notes under this episode at com. so dr gray we thank you so much for coming on and and like i said i've had i've spoken about telehealth before but it was way back when this started so it's it's great to get more information out there for people to know that it's not just something that we're doing during the covid pandemic but that this is something that can be incorporated into your practice, it can help your business, help your patients. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you, Karen. I was glad to be here, appreciate it.
0: Anytime, and everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Well, a big thank you to Dr. Grywe for walking us through the ins and outs of telehealth. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, NetHealth. Again, they wanna help you maintain good and healthy relationships with your patients. They've created the Redoc Patient Portal, Uh, which provides secure line of communication between you and your patients, conduct virtual visits, and have follow-up conversations with your patients via secure messaging when it's convenient for you. Patients have 24-7 secure on-demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. To learn more, contact them at redoc at nethealth.com. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.